0: I'm
1: Nil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. According to the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, as many as 1 in 3 U.S. adults could have diabetes by the year 2050 if current trends continue. If you have diabetes or know someone who has diabetes or want to minimize your odds of ever developing diabetes, this episode is for you. Or if you care about food and its impact on your health and want some clarity about what you should and should not eat, you will learn a lot from this conversation. My guest today is Robbie Barbero, the co founder of Mastering Diabetes and co author of the brand new book, Mastering Diabetes, that explains the science of diabetes and the simple solution that isn't getting the attention it needs. Robbie is a diabetes coach, educator, and international speaker who has been living with type 1 diabetes for more than 20 years. Since 2006, Robbie has used an evidence-based approach to his personal health and fitness. Using the Mastering Diabetes method, he has seen his insulin sensitivity improve by 600% and his overall health improve dramatically. You're going to love this episode. Robbie Barbero from Mastering Diabetes. Thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. It's so great
2: to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: So I read your book, which is uh, coming out tomorrow. Uh, That is Feb 18. That's right. And, uh, you know, these I don't typically read health and nutrition books that often anymore. Um, I get sent a lot of them. And um, for the most part, Not because the books aren't interesting. It's mostly me who feels like, "Eh, maybe I know all of this already. But when we met recently and you told me about your book um, and again, my podcast typically doesn't even talk to health experts that much anymore, but maybe I should. Uh, The reason this really stood out for me Firstly, meeting you, I mean, it was a fun time and you served me some fruit that I've never ever tasted. We had a Anything great lunch. Like, <laughs> yeah, the best fruit I've ever eaten in my life. Um, so I was inspired to read your book for that reason because obviously I liked what you had to say in your story and I feel like people need to hear that. But, you know, diabetes is, hits home for me because my, uh, my mom has diabetes. She's had it for... Over twenty years now, and it runs in my family. And I probably was on the path towards that that road. In fact, I was pre diabetic a few years ago, and I'm not now. So for me, to dive into a book and finally understand the science of diabetes because uh, I thought I understood it, but but oh wow! I realized I knew nothing. Um, this book really made it super clear for me it it opened like i i feel like i could explain it to other people now. In fact, i just yesterday as a test was trying to explain it to someone. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you know what insulin resistance is? And they're like, "Yeah, like I guess diabetics have that problem." I said, "Let me explain it to you." So, firstly, uh I want to say in the in the start that that you've done an amazing job with this book um and i'm super excited to not only talk about the book but more importantly talk about the the journey that you've been on and the work that you're doing because i think it is an important, I mean, it's, that's an understatement of the year. This is a super important issue that we need to talk about. I'm just going to read one fact, and then I'm going to dive into it and let you speak. <laughs> uh, Can't wait. The, your book opens up with this, actually. So the total cost of diagnosed diabetes in the American healthcare system was $327 billion and is expected to grow to $490 billion by the year 2030. And by 2050, experts estimate that diagnosed diabetes will affect 33% of the US population. So that's one in every three Americans.
2: So scary numbers.
1: If that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. So let's start with, at the highest level, for someone listening who, like me, for some reason, Thought they understood diabetes, but still isn't sure. What is diabetes?
2: (laughs) Yeah, let's get into that. But first off, I want to say thank you for all the kind words. Thank you for checking out the book. I know you do get sent a lot of books. And the fact that you were interested to dig into this uh, means a lot to me. It means a lot to Cyrus, my co-founder, co-author. And also that meal we had, that was great. It's special to be able to do that with somebody who understands quality ingredients. I could We had like some Valencia Pride mangoes. We had some you know, local Bloomsdale spinach. We had these great ingredients. Most people, I share that with them, they might not even – they don't appreciate it. Their taste buds aren't alive, and the fact that we could have that meal was great. So yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it as well. So let's, let's take a step back, and let's first understand just the different types of diabetes. So the subtitle of this book is The Revolutionary Method to Reverse Insulin Resistance Permanently in Type 1, Type 1.5, Type 2, prediabetes, and gestational diabetes. So there's different flavors of diabetes. Now, type 1, type 1.5, these are autoimmune conditions of diabetes where the pancreas has been damaged. Beta cells aren't producing sufficient quantities of insulin. So people like myself living with type 1, we inject insulin to manage our blood glucose levels. People living with type 2 diabetes, prediabetes, and gestational diabetes, the underlying cause is insulin resistance. That's the reason people end up developing those forms of diabetes. But insulin resistance is at the core of all blood glucose variability in all types of diabetes. This conversation is relevant no matter what form of diabetes you're living with. And quite frankly, it's relevant for a lot of people listening to the show who are likely living with pre-diabetes and don't even know it. It's relevant for people who are having trouble losing weight, people who have low energy, people who just are you know feeling lethargic in general brain fog insulin resistance is at the root of those issues in addition when you're living with insulin resistance you're increasing your develop your chance of developing heart disease cancer fatty liver disease chronic kidney disease high blood pressure high cholesterol erectile dysfunction the list goes on and on and on so this conversation about understanding insulin resistance what it is how to make yourself more insulin sensitive is relevant for a large number of people. So let's start with understanding what is insulin, what, what's its job, what's its function. It's a hormone that's responsible for taking glucose out of your bloodstream and into your cells, your muscle, your liver cells, and it can be then used for energy. That's insulin's function,
1: okay? So, so it's like, uh, to, to, sorry to interrupt, Please. But, um, so your pancreas produce insulin, Yes. And insulin really is sort of... Uh, as I think your book mentions it, it's an escort for glucose and other nutrients yep. uh, into different cells into your body. So insulin is important because in the absence of en- enough insulin
2: or the overproduction of insulin, you may have issues, and that's that. That's exactly right. So the tip. So type two diabetes, pre diabetes, that affects ninety to ninety five percent of all people living with diabetes. And just to make it clear, that's over 110 million people right now in the U.S. alone. Over 85 million living with prediabetes and don't even know it. So what we're talking about here is t- typical pathological insulin resistance is when you have elevated insulin levels and you have elevated blood glucose levels. So what's happening here is your body is struggling to open up that door. The escort is struggling, and the reason— the reason why is because people have excess fat stored in tissues that are not designed to store fat. So when you consume dietary fat, it's supposed to be stored in adipose tissue. That's where it belongs. You need a certain amount of healthy adipose tissue in your body. There's fat tissue everywhere, all over your body, your, on your neck, in your, in your abdomen, on your legs. There's fat tissue everywhere. But when you consume too much dietary fat and it ends up getting stored in muscle and liver cells more than is necessary Now you have a big problem. And this basically is like gumming up the lock. So you think of insulin. Insulin is the key. It's supposed to open the door. But when you have too much fat, it gums up the lock. Insulin can't open the door. It can't unlock it. So what ends up happening is your body keeps producing more and more insulin. And it can sort of power through. It can do it. And this is what's happening when you're living with prediabetes. You're slowly developing insulin resistance. Your body's producing more insulin and it's compensating for the fact that you have eating way too much fat and it's getting stored in cells that aren't designed to store them. And then eventually your body can't keep up. And this is likely what could be happening with your mom who's been living with diabetes for 20 years now. Eventually the beta cells get burned out. And you can go on and develop now what is called insulin dependent type 2 diabetes. And that's something we really want to prevent. So we can address the root cause. We can address the lifestyle habits that are causing this problem in the first place, and you can absolutely turn it around.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, if I can sort of break it down, uh, type 1 and type one point one and 1. 1.5, yeah. is that what do you call it? <laughs> uh, those two are sort of autoimmune disorders where your beta cells in your pancreas just don't produce enough insulin. They've been damaged, and they're not producing enough insulin. And because you're not producing enough insulin, so there's not enough escorts to transfer glucose into the different cells in the body, and so glucose, blood glucose levels tend to spike. Correct. When you eat, uh, and that then leads to other problems. Type two and pre-diabetes, um, your body becomes insulin resistant, where you you start overproducing insulin, and the insulin or the key is just not working. That's right. And so now you have again from the book a traffic jam of glucose and uh, insulin in your bloodstream, right. and if that persists over a longer period of time, which definitely has happened in the case of my mom, uh, your beta cells die They get burned up. They're just
2: tired. They're exhausted. They yeah. cannot keep up with the amount of insulin that's been required in order for your body to manage its blood And levels. so you
1: then end up where people with type 1 diabetes are where they're not producing enough insulin uh, as well. So you're insulin resistant and you are not producing enough insulin And that's why you probably need to take insulin. this is
2: a really important topic. We made this distinction in the book because everybody, you know, you get into the plant-based world, you hear a lot of these experts saying, hey, you know, you can reverse type 2 diabetes. And that's absolutely true in the vast majority of cases. But it's important to acknowledge the people who that might not actually be possible for, and that's okay. You can still live an amazing, healthy life and prevent the long-term complications that are associated with diabetes. The things that actually end up killing people By addressing insulin resistance in your lifestyle, you might need to inject insulin, and that's okay if your pancreas has been compromised. So we can establish that by doing a C-peptide test, which is what we believe one of the most important tests you can possibly have living with diabetes. And it's just simply a test that's going to indicate how much insulin is your body producing right now. And once you establish that, you can set some goals of, okay, am I going to completely reverse type 2 diabetes? Or am I going to Basically, inject a little bit of insulin to compensate for what I'm not currently producing and then just have great overall health. You want to be insulin sensitive so you don't die of heart disease, so you reduce your chances of developing cancer, fatty liver disease, uh, chronic kidney disease. These are the main complications. The number one killer of all people living with diabetes, including type 1, is heart disease. It's not high blood glucose readings, it's not a high A1C, it's the dietary habits, it's the lifestyle habits. That are actually the underlying cause of these problems. And insulin sensitivity, just so that if
1: anyone is unsure what that means, is it's a good thing. It's when your your insulin keys are working. Exactly. And your cells are responding to the signals being sent by insulin. Say, hello, we're here. Please That's accept right. the glucose that I'm giving you. And
2: just bringing that topic to life is important because in the mainstream media, everybody's demonizing insulin. Like, insulin is the problem. Oh, I eat these high-carbohydrate foods. I'm going to see an insulin spike, and I'm going to gain weight. And it's just this whole fear of insulin. The appropriate amount of insulin is absolutely necessary. It's absolutely required, and for all mammals. It's just excess insulin that's the problem. So I did a Google
1: search last night. What causes insulin resistance? Mm. To see what Google would tell me. <laughs> <And of laughs> this course is fun. I didn't go past the, the the first page. I You know, Google's become so smart, it just provides you the top sure. page answer right on top yeah. without you having to click any page anymore. Too bad if you're trying to get traffic. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but the answer was, it's, uh, according to Google, body weight, belly fat, lack of exercise, lack of sleep, stress, and smoking. That, at least, according to the top-ranked sure. article on Google, those are factors that cause insulin resistance they didn't mention food as a factor mm. for causing. I guess maybe the fact that you have excess body sure. weight or belly fat right. could be right. connected right. to food, obviously. Right. But what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs>
2: yeah, so, I mean, those are accurate statements. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it's the question of how did they get overweight? How did they develop this excess body fat or belly fat? And we know it's mainly diet. Diet is the biggest factor here. And it's a diet where you're eating foods that are higher in their calorie density. That's the biggest problem right now when it comes to people gaining weight. And so in our food system, when we started adding in oils, when people start eating more processed foods, when they're eating more animal products, more packaged foods, they're getting more calories per bite. Their nutrient density is lower. So they're eating and eating and eating because their body is looking for nutrients and they're eating these nutrient-poor foods. So they're getting a lot of calories without the nutrition. And this is happening for people in all age ranges. I mean, people are getting diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Children now in middle school getting diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. So it's a really sad state of affairs. And their confusion when it comes to diabetes in particular is because you can self-monitor the condition. You can't see if your heart disease got better or worse on one meal, objectively. You can't test, hey, did my kidney disease get better or worse based on this one meal? But with diabetes, you can eat a meal, you can test your blood glucose two hours after, and you can say, okay, wow, my blood glucose is 200. It's supposed to be no higher than 140. This meal made my diabetes worse. This is a problem. And that is where the confusion comes in, between this approach of, do I do a low-carbohydrate diet? Do I limit my carbohydrate consumption? Or do I focus on a higher-carbohydrate, low-fat diet, like we're talking about in this book? And it's it's a huge source of confusion because of this short-term, objective numbers that people are looking at.
1: Yeah, but some also say that, you know, let's just talk about sugar. And I know yeah. not all sugar is the same. Right. But there's some, according to some conventional, I guess conventional wisdom, that, when you eat sugar rich foods, you know, you have an excess amount of glucose suddenly in the blood. You need to produce more insulin. And eventually, you know, you the production of excess amount of insulin results in a downregulation of the receptors in your cell, which now no longer respond to the keys and to respond to the call to take in the glucose. And then the buildup of glucose in the body creates fat in the cells. Which then causes insulin resistance. So, in other words, to simplify what I just said, if that didn't make any sense, is that sugar causes insulin resistance.
2: This could not be further from the truth. Now, yes, we have to acknowledge that there is a difference between, you know, white table sugar and then the glucose and fructose and sucrose you're going to find in a banana and an apple. Completely different. The packaging is different. The nutrient composition is different it absolutely behaves differently but even with that said i'm not going to sit here and try and endorse processed sugar i'm not okay good (laughs) but i if you look at the scientific evidence even when people are fed processed sugar in a low-fat environment you see the opposite of the, the what you just described so in 1971 Dr. Brunzel published a study where he fed patients a liquid sugar diet, dextrose and protein powder. So 85% of calories coming from the dextrose, from carbohydrate, 15% of calories coming from protein. This is a 0% fat diet, which is not possible when you eat whole foods because there's fat in everything. But this is a fascinating study. And so he fed that to his patients and then he did a paired oral glucose tolerance test. He had a control diet. And when he did this test, he saw that the blood glucose readings at every point during an oral glucose tolerance test where you consume 75 grams of glucose and then measure your blood glucose every 30 minutes. The blood glucose numbers came down on the sugar water diet and insulin levels came down. And this is because the sugar was consumed in a low fat environment. This has been, I could go and give you a long list of studies, research study after study after study Going all the way back to the 1920s, showing that when you reduce the fat consumption and you then increase carbohydrate, even if it's from processed foods, you see a decrease in insulin levels and a decrease in blood glucose levels, which is showing an improvement in insulin sensitivity. Wow. Okay. So, for someone who
1: doesn't have diabetes yet and is listening and is concerned, being well, I need to understand what causes insulin resistance because i don 't want to get diabetes. I want to first address that listener and then, of course, address the listener who probably is pre diabetic or has uh, diabetes and wants to understand how to get better so first, with someone who wants so you want so the goal here is to be insulin sensitive yes. because when you are insulin sensitive, you decrease your risk of
2: weight gain, obesity, cholesterol, high blood sugar. Coronary disease, everything. And only that, that's all long term, which is important, yeah. but I'm telling you, the results happen immediately. You feel more energetic. Your skin improves. We just did a long webinar last night about this, and we go through like a series of testimonials and teaching everybody when you focus on this one idea of what lifestyle habits do I have to improve to make insulin work more efficiently, the ancillary benefits are endless. Absolutely endless. It's just this one idea that has an incredible amount of benefits. And that
1: idea is that what really matters is the amount and type of carbohydrates that you consume, the amount and type of fat that you consume, and of course, your overall nutrient density of the food. That's exactly right. And so even if I don't have diabetes or prediabetes, and I do that, and I get smart about those three factors, I'm pretty much giving myself, buying myself an insurance policy that I'll never get insulin resistance and I'll be insulin sensitive, provided, of course, yeah. I'm also sleeping and Absolutely. getting moderate amount Absolutely. of exercise and, yeah. you know, not stressed out too yep. much and not smoking and sure. other things. Yes. So, but you think diet is still the the primary factor. It is the
2: biggest leading factor It's the biggest factor because we have steered so far away from what is the best option. So when it comes to movement, people get a decent amount of movement. They walk a little bit. I mean, they do something. When it comes to getting sleep, people get a decent number of sleep. You know, I mean, they get some. But when it comes to diet, people, they're just so far away. Just the dramatic difference between what they are eating and what is actually healthy for their cells is is gigantic. So that's the biggest place to focus with the biggest impact.
1: And you're saying that that those three factors, amount and type of carbs, amount and type of fat, and nutrient density is also the it's the same that's also the solution to someone who has insulin insulin resistance.
2: Absolutely. So if
1: you're a diabetic, if you also follow that, you can perhaps I don't want to overstate this, but you can perhaps
2: uh, improve Or reverse? You can see the results very quickly. Okay. Very quickly. So I'm living with type 1 diabetes. So that means every time I eat a meal, I inject insulin, I count the carbohydrates I'm consuming, and I measure my blood glucose levels. So I have these three metrics that I can measure consistently. And with that data, I can assess my insulin sensitivity on a meal-by-meal basis. And when I was doing a low-carbohydrate diet, I would consume about 30 grams of carbohydrate per day, and I injected about... 10 units of insulin per day, very, very small amount, which we can go into detail if you want to about the nuances here. But that's a three to one 24 hour carbohydrate insulin ratio, three to one. Now, I'm eating well over 700 grams of carbohydrate per day. I'm using a physiologically normal amount of insulin, about 27 units of insulin. That's what a healthy human pancreas should secrete. That is now a more over 22 to one insulin sensitivity there for 24 hour ratio. That's a 600% change. So again, that's just my own personal experience. But we see this over and over and over again, and it happens quickly. It happens in days with those living with type 1 because we have that data, or those living with insulin-dependent diabetes, and those who are just living with type 2, pre-diabetes, they'll see their fasting blood glucose come down, usually within weeks. The solution sounds simple, and I say it.
1: <laughs> you know, amount in type of carbs, and amount in type of fat and nutrient density. In practice, that's a lot more complicated. So before we, you know, talk about, how people can actually implement this on um um into their lifestyle i think it may help to to give a better the listener better understanding of what actually happens when you eat carbs and what happens when you eat different types of carbs as a starting point cuz carbs are usually pointed to as being the enemy if you are diabetic according to conventional
2: wisdom at least that's right so there's a huge distinction here. Again, when we're using the word carbs, carbohydrates, yeah. there's a huge distinction between something like bread, even bread. Let's just go with that example, okay? Some like healthy millet bread, very clean. You buy it you know your local store versus something like just having some, some millet, all right? And you can put it in a nice healthy dish, okay? When you eat um, the, the millet bread, It has been processed, okay? There's been some milling. There's some cracking. You turn it into bread. Now, you have something that is far more calorie-dense, and it's highly processed. Now, I want people to understand how that is going to impact their blood glucose level separate from eating just the whole millet. all right? So imagine you have a huge block of ice about the size of your car on your driveway, okay? It's a hot summer day. You have this huge block of ice. And it's pretty hot. It's going to melt. It's going to take many, many hours, maybe all day for this gigantic block of ice to melt. But if you take that block of ice and you turn into a million different shards, just break it up to a million different pieces, that's going to melt like that with a snap of a finger. Just minutes, it's gone. And that's what's happening when you're eating these highly processed foods, even if they're whole, clean versions. It is going to absorb into your bloodstream far quicker. And that can re- result in an insulin spike, which then can lead to a little bit of a crash. Your body will produce too much insulin. You end up going low. So you're on this roller coaster when you're eating processed, whole car- processed carbohydrate-rich foods. But when you're eating things like fruits or potatoes or millet, this is a 3D complex package that is full of this whole intact fiber that has not been altered full of a vast amount of nutrients, micronutrients, phytochemicals, antioxidants, vitamins, minerals. And this synergy is what allows you to eat these foods and have stable blood glucose when you're not consuming too much dietary fat. And to be clear, we are teaching people to eat no more than 15% of their total calories coming from fat or no more than 30 grams of total fat. And this is you know, these numbers can get a little confusing or, you know, it's like, I don't want to go put things in nutrition software, but that's okay. When you learn what foods to eat, you don't need to overthink this process because there are specific foods that are higher in fat. There's specific foods that are naturally low in fat and you just eat them to your heart's content and don't worry about it. You just, you know, become aware of which ones are higher in fat.
1: Yeah. And even when it comes to fat, you know, let's let's examine fat a little bit. Um, actually, before we talk about fat, you mentioned when you eat processed carbohydrates, you end up ha- going on this roller coaster. Yes. Why is that bad? Well, because you're producing excess insulin. That's no good. So even if I, I'm not insulin resistance, resistant, that's probably a, a problem?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a problem because you're going to result these energy crashes that people have later in the afternoon, like 3, 4 o'clock, they're crashing. This is a result of an unhealthy blood glucose profile. Mm. And then also because you're having this spike in blood glucose,
1: that on a consistent basis, if you're regularly consuming processed foods... Could then lead to other problems. You're, you're, you're
2: taxing your pancreas. You're right. asking it to work way harder than it needs to work.
1: And that's so it could contribute to an insulin resistance if you don't have it. down Over the, the line.
2: long term, there's no question. Huh. Okay. And so insulin resistance, it's a spectrum. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You you, you, you just you don't have to get you know too people like oh they walk around and I'm I'm insulin resistant I'm insulin sensitive it's like it's it's you you see the results in how you feel. You see the results yeah. in your blood work, and that can help you understand where you're at. Right. You...
1: Uh, and in terms of fat, now I, you mentioned it a few times, and I and I haven't asked you the question yet, obviously about fat. But you mentioned that carbs perform differently, especially when you're not eating processed carbs. If you're eating whole plant foods, whether it's fruits or vegetables uh, or greens, uh, they have a different reaction in your body when your the fat environment is low. That's so exactly the right. overall fat consumption is 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 low. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a bit like in terms of why is it better when there's less fat consumed and then let's talk about the fat what is good and bad
2: fat that you should or should not be consuming. So being a person living with type 1 diabetes, it's part of what gets us so passionate about this and so excited about it. And then we see you know, our experience correlate with what's been demonstrated in the research. But it's still fun to cite, cite back that personal experience. I have this Dexcom, this continuous glucose monitor. Every five minutes, it gives me an update on uh, what my blood glucose level is. So anytime I add, even if I have like you know, an av- avocado or something, a little bit too much avocado, a little bit too much nuts and seeds, I'll eat that meal. I'll include some carbohydrate food with it, maybe have some mangoes, maybe have some pears, some peaches with that higher fat food. And then I will see on my Dexcom, which is beeping right there, (laughs) um, I will see see my profile be just fine. It will be just fine for the first two, three hours. And then four, five, six, seven hours later, you just see it slowly creeping up, creeping up, creeping up, creeping up. And this, what's happening here, is the the fat in that meal, in that meal, and there's plenty of research to demonstrate this, is inhibiting insulin's function. It's that simple, and it, that's plant fat. Okay, you want you so I want to talk about like you know healthy fats and unhealthy fats. There's a there's a certain order of you know which fats are going to be the most damaging. Okay, we we'll start with trans fat. That's obvious. Everybody agrees with that. Then we go into saturated fat, which is found in animal products, but can also be consumed if you, you know, too much coconut and stuff like that. So you can get it from plants as well. And then you go back to the, you know, the more unsaturated fats here. They're not going to be as problematic, but still problematic, still problematic. And again, they're just gumming up the system. It's, it truly is that simple. So what, obviously you probably have a lot of thoughts, um,
1: on this whole notion that fat is back something we've been (laughs) hearing about in the last few years uh i've met quite a few people who previously had concluded that whether it's you know that saturated fat was bad have now changed their minds on it and have um uh, eating you know a high fat uh, you know, I don't want to call it a bulletproof coffee or whatever, but I know some people who are, who are plant-based who are doing that as well. Yeah, plant-based
2: well, ketos become very popular. Yeah,
1: so they're, they're eating a high-fat, they're eating high-fat meals, especially high in saturated fat. So I'm not talking about avocados. I'm talking about like, you know, smoothies that are, or even your coffee that is using a coconut creamer. Um, And again, I don't want to demonize coconuts, sure. but <clears throat> I want to understand it in the context of our conversation today is that, what is that based on what is what is their research and th- what conclusions have they arrived at that is leading them to believe that what they're doing is actually good for them and is it mostly because of how they feel maybe they feel full maybe they feel more energy in the mornings or is it actually based on scientific research and what is it and how does it tie to you know long-term implications like diabetes and other diseases
2: so when it comes to understanding what's actually occurring in the research versus what's being reported on popular websites, it's two totally different things. So there's no question, and we wrote about, we have a very in-depth chapter in the book about low-carbohydrate diets, ketogenic diets versus plant-based diets, and understanding short-term and long-term effects. And we wanted to be you know, very respectful and truthful to the research and acknowledge the other side. Because there's no question, the short-term results of doing a well-executed ketogenic diet, primarily a plant-based one would be ideal. Oh, even if it's animal-based. Even animal-based. The results are undeniable. I mean, you go on the internet, you see people, you've met friends. I mean, they're they're feeling good. They've lost weight. They've reduced medications. When it comes to diabetes, they've gotten a non-diabetic A1c. They do not take insulin anymore. All kinds of amazing benefits. You're scratching your head being like, wait a minute. What is going on here? Cyrus and Ravi and Mastering Diabetes, they're telling me fat is the problem. There's, and this person is eating essentially nothing but fat. And they lost weight. They reversed their diabetes. What's going on here? So here's what's happening. When you decide to completely stop eating carbohydrates, you know, we're talking like 5 10% of total carbohydrates is happening on these ketogenic diets, okay? What you're doing is you are implementing a Band-Aid solution. You're not addressing the cause. So let's imagine you are a bad driver, okay? You get in car accidents all the time. You get speeding tickets all the time. And I take away your driver's license, and you stop driving. You don't get any more tickets, and you don't get in any more car accidents. But did we address the problem? Are you a better car driver? The answer is no. And so the ketogenic world is taking away carbohydrates to try and solve a problem. It's a band-aid solution. They are not addressing the core issue of insulin resistance. In fact, in most cases, they're making it worse. When they go and try and eat a banana or they try and eat some quinoa, their blood glucose spikes because they have made themselves glucose intolerant. That's what they have done. And this is what's concerning us for the long-term implications Of this dietary approach there are no studies of people doing this for 20 30 40 years we have plenty of research plenty of long-term societies that we can look at to understand what is likely to happen to people who eat predominantly plants predominantly carbohydrate rich foods like beans like rice like potatoes like fruit we know so to us it's just a risk and if you want to do that that's fine but that's your choice. You're choosing to live in an insulin resistant state. You're choosing to live in a state of glucose intolerance, and we think you're trading one problem for many other problems down the road.
1: Mm. And so, because you know, the the thinking really is that, well, if glucose spikes, uh, and an excess glucose in the blood when you eat is the problem. Well, just don't just don't add any glucose, and. Of course, you're going to see some results, absolutely, as, as a result of that. But have I'm I mean, I'm just surprised that people aren't thinking about, or we maybe we don't know what happens long term when you do that. Firstly, we of don't. Course. I mean,
2: everybody has to be honest. I yeah. don't. We don't know. It's all it's all just conjecture at this point. Yeah. What we what we think might happen, yeah. based on other data we have about people who, especially when it comes to animal products, people who include red meat, white meat. These foods and dairy, they they have long-term issues. You look at epidemiological research, there is concerns with including those foods in your diet. People who limit those foods end up seeing better long-term health results.
1: Yeah. And then even if you do it, say, plant-based, right? If you, if you try keto <laughs> plant-based, which I, I, to be completely honest, I tried for four days mm. just because I was curious. Sure. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I just didn't feel good. So, and I was tired of eating
2: cashews and avocados. You know, it wasn't much to eat as a, at at some point there's just an element of logic to this stuff. I mean, do you really think (laughs) that human beings are designed to limit or avoid Berries yeah, and yeah. and man- like oh you can only have a little bit of berries you don't have too many I mean berries are included in some ketogenic diets but just in small quant I mean is it realistic Yeah human beings were designed I mean nuts and seeds they're very hard to obtain in nature Yeah I mean it's just
1: yeah it it, def- it kind of yeah it goes against logic actually so um but I understand why people choose it for sure and I think the reason the true reason is that it allows them to eat the things that they love to eat uh and so it's an e i wouldn't say it's easy to comply with that diet because you still can't you can't eat bread and you can't eat a lot of other things um and you- avoid
2: delicious fruit. The current um, data is that it's actually uh very hard for people to stick to that diet okay. and it's easier to stick to a plant based diet
1: i- i mean i i sort of agree there's much more variety in yeah. a di- plant based diet yeah, but um you can see some people being like, "Oh okay, I can just eat steak for dinner now sure <laughs> and, uh, yep like yep. Dr.
2: McDougall says, people like to hear good news about their bad habits. And I also wanna yeah. you know, go a little bit further on what you were saying mm-hmm. is we have a lot of respect for everybody who's doing that. I and mean, yeah. if you're somebody who's taken the effort to execute any version of these ketogenic diets, you have decided to stop eating junk food. You're not going, you know, to the McDonald's drive through You're not eating tons of, you know, food with a million ingredients and additives. you you're making lifestyle changes. You're probably exercising more. You're probably trying to get more sleep, so we have a lot in common. There's a lot to celebrate. I think True. the biggest problem we have when it comes to our public health crisis is apathy—people not caring and not trying. So, if you're in this in this game, I mean, pat yourself on the back, but you know, consider some other information as well.
1: What I, What I find interesting in um, the keto trend too is that uh, it's now seeping into the food industry, mm. where I, you know, like you see vegan slapped onto products uh, as being an indication of of it being better in some way. Right. To me, it just identifies that it is vegan. Yeah. Uh, keto. Now you have products that say this is gluten-free, keto, vegan. It's like a badge of honor now uh, because there is a market for it, right? So you have uh, Keto Shakes being launched, Keto Energy Bars – uh, there's a whole sub-sector uh, of the yes. of the food industry developing around the keto trend. And of course, if it's keto and plant-based, even better because, you know, hitting two trends now. So exactly. I won't go down the rabbit hole of uh, food industry marketing tactics because it'll distract us from much more important things that we have to talk about. Like, so sticking on the fat issue, right? Sure. Let's talk about plant fats as well. I know you mentioned avocados. Obviously, they're considered to be good fats. But what... Plant fats are generally, could even lead to insulin resistance, or if you are insulin resistant, you should probably minimize or avoid completely in your diet. What about processed oils? What about, um, yeah, we've talked about coconuts, but what about
2: coconut oil, for example? So the first thing I want people to understand is that when you eat whole foods, you are consuming essential fatty acids. So there's two essential fatty acids on the omega-6 side and the omega-3 side, linoleic acid and aflinoleic acid. So that's the key. So this whole conversation about healthy fats and making sure you get them, it really comes down to the idea of, am I getting the essential fatty acids I need and do I have enough DHA and EPA on the omega-3 side? That's the conversation we're having. So people are misunderstanding how much fat they need to consume to meet those requirements. And for the vast majority of people, You can simply just eat enough whole foods and you will meet your requirements. We've put in an insurance policy of having a tablespoon of chia seeds or flax seeds in the morning. You ground them up and you've already met your essential fatty acid requirements right then and there before you put in another bite of whole plant foods. It truly is. It's that simple. So understanding which fats to consume and how much to consume is, is actually simple. We've put it into a, a nice little graphic in the book. This is one of my favorite graphics. with a lot of great illustrations. And I know the audience can't see this here, but imagine a day where you eat an apple, you eat a banana, you eat a huge fruit salad in the morning, you have like curried red lentils and over fluffy quinoa in the afternoon, and you have a greens and beans for dinner. That's like your whole day of eating. That ends up being five pounds, six ounces of food, and the average human eats about three to five ounces. So on this diet, you get to eat more food and weigh less because of the calorie density, which we'll go into detail here. So imagine your whole day, five pounds, six ounces of food. Then if you have one tablespoon of olive oil, okay, that's going to be 15 grams of fat. And then this entire day you had 15 grams of fat, okay? That all came from whole foods and you only had the only overt high fat, healthy fat source in this day where you had five pounds, six ounces um, came from some chia seeds in the breakfast and you got 15 grams of fat throughout the entire entire day. You could also have 0.9 ounces, less than one ounce of sesame seeds and get 15 grams of fat. You could have 1.8 tablespoons of peanut butter and get 15 grams of fat. You could have 1.1 ounces of al- almonds and consume 15 grams of fat. So the understanding of how much fat people are consuming in their diet is a game changer. Very small amounts are going a long way, and people are usually getting oil at almost every meal, and that's the most calorie-dense food on the planet, okay? So calorie density is the concept of how much calories do you get in any given weight of food, and it's usually measured based on how many pounds, how many calories in an edible pound of food, one pound, which is 454 grams. So the key thing is it's a constant. It doesn't matter how much you consume of any of those foods. Any amount of oil compared to having some arugula or something or a mango or a banana is going to be over 40 times more calorie dense. And so you put that in your stomach. Then you have this very small amount of matter – taking up a small amount of space in your stomach, giving you a lot of calories, and not leading to you being satisfied. And that's for people eat more and then more and more. They're getting a lot of food or a lot of calories eating a, a small amount of food. So that's a huge thing to understand when you're consuming fat also, that there's nine calories per gram of fat, whereas for protein and carbohydrate, it's four calories per gram, okay? So that's a big difference. When you have a small amount, you're getting like more than double the energy. So healthy fats are definitely part of the program. You can have avocado. You can have nuts and seeds. You can have soy products. You just have to be cognizant of how much you're going to have. And you have to choose because once you choose the amount that you're going to have any given one of those, if you want to fit within the guidelines, you can't go and have, a, you can't have another one. You can't have like right. a serving of nuts and seeds and a serving of avocado if you want to meet our guidelines here. Yeah. And I know that might seem scary for some people, (laughs) but when you eat the recipes in this book and you get to eat all these other foods like, you know, the potatoes and the the yams and butternut squashes and all these amazing fruits, you feel satisfied. You don't necessarily crave these fats anymore. Mm -hmm. And so, you know,
1: fat, of course, we understand and I think you've explained it adequately in terms of how it can at least, you know, excess amounts of bad fat or excess amounts of fats in general can worsen insulin resistance and actually not help you in any way what other nutrients like what about protein and and what about um yeah what about protein does that play
2: a role in any of this high or low protein consumption excess protein can also lead to insulin resistance no question asked but the protein conversation has just gotten so blown out of <laughs> proportion yeah i mean why is that happening The why is protein is it
1: is it because excess of anything can lead to insulin resistance, or you know what, what is so special about protein as it ties to i 'm not talking about protein and all the other nonsense people are talking yeah, about for sure, but protein in the context of our you know cells becoming down regulating their insulin receptors or whatever the fat accumulation that happens in cells that prevents them from receiving the signals from insulin. How does protein contribute to that? and like how does protein f- for example, let's just make eat, maybe simplify it a little bit. From your perspective, like, because obviously you're living with type 1 diabetes, yeah. or um, and you coach a lot of people as well who are diabetic,
2: what, what advice do you give them around protein, and what is the reasoning yeah. for that advice? Okay, it's a great question. The advice we give people around protein is don't ever think about it again. Eat whole food. Eat whole food. And don't worry about managing these macronutrients. I know we've talked about. Oh, we gave you a guideline for fat. We gave you, a, you know, a recommendation for eat carbohydrates and all that whatnot. The truth is, is you eat food. You don't eat protein. You don't eat carbohydrates. You don't eat fat. You eat food. And when you focus on eating whole foods, there's going to be a mix of all three of those macronutrients. And when you choose to focus on the foods that have the optimal calorie density, the optimal nutrient density, they have loaded with uh, water and fiber, then you don't have to worry about this. You genuinely do not need to micromanage your protein intake. So
1: you don't tell them to like minimize protein or keep it at a certain, you know, like you're telling them to minimize fat in this solution. True. But you're not necessarily giving them like keep 10% of your calories, not more protein.
2: We are telling people to eat specific foods. Okay. So and you're, it's different. to make it simple. Right. There's no I question. Agree. I mean, I so if so, we have a green light, a yellow mm-hmm. light, and a red light category. If you focus on by pr- predominantly consuming from the green light category, all these other things just fall into place. So the green light category is fruits, it's starchy vegetables, it's beans, it's intact whole grains non-starchy vegetables, leafy greens, herbs and spices, and mushrooms. Okay, All those are whole foods, no processing, naturally low in fat, naturally adequate in protein, high in whole carbohydrate-rich energy, high in water content, high in fiber. You focus on eating those foods, problem solved. Then when it comes to the yellow light category, you have to do a little bit of awareness, a little bit of presence of, how much of the yellow light foods are you consuming? So that's nuts and seeds, avocado, olives, coconut products, soy. So soy is a high-fat food. Edamame is the most whole, intact version of soy. You can also have tempeh. You can also have tofu. I was happy to see tempeh on that list. Perfect. I love tempeh. (laughs) Good, yeah. They're 40% of calories coming Mm -hmm. from fat. So remember, this book, this method will will absolutely – work for everybody. No questions asked. No question. But it's designed for people who are in a challenging metabolic situation. This is for people who have a disease that's wreaking some havoc on their life. And so there's no question, this is probably one of the cleanest plant-based diets you'll ever come across. Of all the experts, all our friends in this space, this is very clean, very straightforward, and that's why we do get rapid amazing results but the key to know is it still can be quite simple and you don't need to over analyze any of the macronutrients when you're just focusing on the green light foods
1: yeah so i mean i don't want to talk about the we've, we've done we've gone enough into the science now yeah um I think the bigger problem really is people are stuck in this cycle that is, firstly, they've gotten into this place where they're possibly pre-diabetic or have type 2 diabetes. And if they are unfortunate to have type 1 diabetes, they're, that's what they're dealing with like yourself. Yeah. And a bad lifestyle, a bad diet only makes it worse, right? So firstly, it could be the bad lifestyle and the bad diet that caused the problem in the first place. And then, because you are insulin resistant, now your you know, blood glucose is constantly spiking and you're trying to manage your insulin. and you, If you're lucky, you won't get to the point where you need to now you know, take insulin to make sure that you can even regulate your, your, your body's production of insulin. And then, being in that state leads to further problems. So firstly, your bad diet, your weight, weight gain, your uh, <laughs> lack of sleep, all of that made you sick. And then being sick is making you further sick, and it's probably going to lead to high blood pressure and lead to heart Absolutely. disease and other problems. And so people are stuck in this vicious cycle. And what I'm hearing and what you're saying is that you are offering a solution to get off that that downward spiral that people are on right now
2: to address all of it. Yeah, with all of one it. One simple <laughs> focus.
1: Yeah. And 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 that is. Get on a a diet that w- may on the surface seem scary for yes. some people. Yes, but tell me why it's not scary because and you've it, been living. For you've sure, you've been living plant based and eating. You know, not just plant based because I want to make sure this isn't a question about plant based versus animal based foods. We're not even talking about that. We're talking about what you should eat. Yes, that will that is the healthiest cleanest food yes. that will show you results if you're a diabetic Absolutely. or if you want to increase your odds of not ever ending up insulin resistant.
2: And it's not about being perfect. Mm-hmm. As you move towards more of the green light foods, you see benefits and you get to decide how far you want to take it. So, and so for, for people, I know you have a coaching
1: program yes. as well. Um, obviously, you've worked with people who have seen results. Can you share some examples of, of people who've you know like what time frame does it take before you start to see results and obviously do they like start the program and then next day they're eating <laughs> the the way you describe like an ideal yeah. day of food or you know how do you how do you take someone who's stuck in that downward spiral or the treadmill of stupidity that is the that is the bad american diet and the 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 resulting consequences of it that you can't get off what if they want to get off the treadmill
2: but they just they're just afraid to take that first step. So exactly. I want to address that concern of being scared. So people are definitely scared. You know, they have diabetes. They test their blood Maybe they'll see some high readings in the beginning. Or maybe somebody who's not testing, they'll be like, hey, look, I know if I'm going to eat these carbohydrates foods, I'm, I'm going to see an insulin spike. I'm going to feel a crash. Like, it's not going to go so well. That's what they're expecting. Yeah. The key understanding and why we spent a good portion of this book, you know, about a third of it or so on explaining the science, is so people understand what is going on. They understand that when you start making this change, you are addressing the root cause. The high blood glucose readings that you're seeing right now are simply a symptom. So people are too narrowly focused on just addressing the symptom and trying to fix that with low-carbohydrate and ketogenic diets. They're missing the bigger picture. So this strategy is about addressing your lifestyle change and making it work for the long term so we have people change just breakfast that's the first step in our coaching program just change breakfast and people are surprised to see that when they are eating a mastering diabetes style breakfast of whole fruit that's the recommendation whole fruit then you have some non-starchy vegetables some greens in there And then your uh, chia seeds or flax seeds. You can also, we have some starch-based breakfasts as well. But we really emphasize the fruit. People are amazed to see that even with just that one change, they see improvements in their energy. They can see improvements in their blood glucose readings because this is our whole foods. And we're taking out some of the processed stuff they've previously had at breakfast. So one meal at a time. And then you start to change your lunch. And then you start to change your dinner. And eventually, over time, at your own pace, this becomes integrated into your life. You're like learning an entirely new language. You're going to be shopping in different aisles of the grocery store. You're going to be buying new produce items you've never purchased before. You don't even know how to cook some of these things. You never, you know, put, people have never used an Instant Pot or anything or even cooked a p- potato. Or how do you cook quinoa? You know, this is, this is brand new for a lot of people. And so there's also a lot of convenience items that people can use in this day and age. You can get pre-cooked quinoa at the grocery store. It's in the frozen section. You can get uh, a bag of, you know, pre-cooked brown rice with carrots and broccoli and some corn already sitting in the bag. All I have to do is reheat it. So there's also an idea of people, people sometimes are a little scared. They, They jump in all the way. They're like, oh man, I'm just gonna change everything. And they say, oh, you know, I'm not gonna use a microwave anymore. Like microwaves are bad and stuff like this. And you have to look yourself in the mirror and be like, wait a minute. If I didn't go to the store and buy, you know, the pre-made bag and put it in the microwave and eat that, what else would I be eating? And if you're honest with yourself, it's probably a lot worse than these healthy ingredients that are put in the microwave. And to be real, we do not have this health crisis because people are eating canned beans and brown rice from bags that's not how we got where we are it's not the problem so using convenience items and making this fit into your lifestyle is a key key part of our coaching program really making it doable making it affordable and understanding that you're not going to change this problem overnight it's not going to fix itself in a week you didn't develop type 2 diabetes in a week this developed over the course of 10 15 20 years this is developed. I mean, there's research on people that are, you know, uh, veteran not veterans, but people in the army developing heart disease in their, like, 20s. They have early stages of heart disease. Like, this stuff is developing from a young age, these issues. So be patient. Know that you are addressing the cause. Celebrate the early wins that you will get. And stay focused on the long-term results.
1: And what results have you seen like what what if yeah what you know have you can you share some examples of of uh people who followed your advice um maybe not as strictly in the beginning but eventually learned how to develop a new habit and start eating this way have they been able to reverse their conditions are they like how what kind of feedback are you getting i mean there's some of those testimonials sure. in the book itself yes. but Yeah, maybe you can share one of those. That would be great. One of
2: my favorite stories is Tammy. So Tammy lives in Los Angeles. So when she joined our coaching program, I had the opportunity to meet with her at the farmer's market, and we're shopping, and I'm buying a bunch of oranges, I'm buying a bunch of persimmons, and she is like, Robbie, I don't believe you, man. There's no way I'm going to be able to eat those oranges. It's not going to work for me. I was like, Tammy... Just trust us, okay? Just listen. And she was kicking and screaming for a long time, really struggling to get this going. She was living with type 2 diabetes. She had fatty liver disease. She was using 2,000 milligrams of metformin to manage her blood glucose level. Her A1c was 7.4%. It's supposed to be 5.6% or below. That's non-diabetic. When you're 5.7 to 6.4, you're a pre-diabetic. 6.5 and above, that's type 2. So she's using diabetes medications And she has an elevated A1c. She also had an elevated fasting insulin level at 17. Fasting insulin should be somewhere between like 3 and 8. Around 5 is much better. So she has classic insulin resistance. She has excess insulin. She has a high average blood glucose number, even with the use of diabetes medications. She also had fatty liver disease. She had chronic pain in her knees. She couldn't walk. Going to the grocery store was painful for her. She has pictures of her trying to climb a pyramid in Mexico. She couldn't do it. So she adopts our coaching program. She finally starts to listen. I remember there was one time where she was at a grocery store and she had a conversation with Cyrus, my co-founder here, and he was like, Tammy, just put these items in your cart and only eat the items that I'm telling you to buy. And she's like, fine, fine, I'll do it. And now she's lost over 75 pounds. Her A1C is 5.3% with no diabetes medications, and her fasting insulin level is now 5. So she got to eat all the fruit she wants, all the potatoes, all the rice, all the beans, tons of vegetables, and she lost weight. Her fasting insulin level went down. Her average blood glucose levels have gone down. Her fasting blood glucose has gone down. Fatty liver disease is gone. The aches and pains in her knees are gone. She has pictures at the top of this pyramid now showing that she got there, her smiling. She's biking all the time. She feels amazing. And now she's a big advocate for that. Wow. That's just amazing. I mean, to hear that
1: and it takes effort. I mean, I think what you articulated there was that it wasn't, it wasn't simple. It wasn't like uh, something that people are super excited to wake up the next day and do. But once you start doing it, you realize it's not that difficult. And, and of course, for someone who is pre-diabetic or, or diabetic, this is supremely important to listen to, and this book is could change their lives to be honest. so I think that's an obvious statement if people haven't figured that out by now, but I want to understand for for someone who's not diabetic yeah. how, what can they learn from from this book and this style of eating and you know because sometimes and I'll tell you, giving myself as an example i'm I'm not diabetic. Um, and sometimes, because, and going back to what I said in the beginning of I get sent a lot of books and a lot of them are about health, and some of them I don't read because I'm like, I don't need to worry about this, sure, stuff. sure <laughs> right? and but the truth is that when I do read them, like in the case of your book, I always learn something from it, and it always inspires me to be better and to be a little bit more careful about you know where I'm eating and what I'm eating. Uh, because I've you know frankly myself known the side of life where I didn't care so much about any of what I was putting in my mouth, even though some of it was plant based, and I ended up on nearly pre diabetic at high cholesterol a few years ago obviously i've I've been able to tackle all of that now in the last few years, but then I fall into this the sense of uh you know I'm okay
2: now, I don't need sure. to worry about these sure. things so for someone who okay. is like me what what for someone what can they learn? who is not living with diabetes. And they're thinking, you know what? I'm ready to make some change. I want to get inspired like you did here. Well, I- I'm promising you, okay? If you follow the method that is outlined in this book, well, there's over 30 recipes in here. There's a meal plan. There's a list of exactly what foods to eat. We have a thorough list of the green light foods. And people will probably find a lot of new items they've never tried, which is fun. And also a lot of items that they're very familiar with. If you follow it. And if you want to lose weight, you're going to lose weight. If you have high cholesterol, you're going to lower your cholesterol. If you have high triglycerides, you can fix that. If you have erectile dysfunction, which is affecting a lot of people, you can fix that. Okay. And if you even have more serious conditions like fatty liver disease, chronic kidney disease, neuropathy, retinopathy, this program is going to address those at the root, the root cause, which is insulin resistance. Wow. So, I mean, I know it says
1: mastering diabetes, but it sounds like what you're offering here, through the lens of insulin resistance and diabetes, is the pathway to uh, a much bigger solution, which is, you know, in some ways revolutionary, depends on who you talk to. Sure is not so revolutionary because absolutely. I guess we've kind of known this for a while. You eat whole food plant-based. Th- there's you're, no question. You're guaranteed I mean, to
2: be better off. We under- like, This is over a hundred years mm-hmm. of evidence-based research on this topic that we have uncovered in this book. We have absolutely known this. And now it's time to put it into action and make it happen. So what would you like to tell people who are still hesitant to,
1: take the leap, like what is the simplest advice you can give them to, if nothing, pick up your book and give it a read and at least consider going down this path or exploring it.
2: I think knowledge is power in this case. And your testimony here in this podcast is a very big deal. Somebody who has been around this for so long for you to say, hey, you know what, I actually learned a lot in here and I really understand it. That means a lot, and I think a lot of other people can have the same experience. So we obviously have read and are aware about all the other books on the market on this topic. And we said, what can we write that's different? What do we have to contribute that's different? And I think that's what got Penguin Random House excited and wanted to write a, you know, take us on as, as, a, as authors. And so I would say pick up the book to get educated, just to learn. You don't have to pick it up and say, okay, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to do the meal plan. I'm going to try it 21 days. That might be too much right now. Pick it up to learn. Read the scientific part. Look at the illustrations and let that sink in and see how that impacts your daily decisions and what you want to try after you get that understanding. Because what's written in here, it's not written elsewhere. Yes, it's in the peer-reviewed research. I can go back to 1926, Dr. Sansom. I can go to Hemsworth in the 1930s. I can go to Walter Kempner. I can show you the papers. But this is not being discussed on the you know, popular level the regular mainstream writing. It's not there. So we put it in this book and I really hope that people benefit from that education.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we started off this discussion with me reading some of the alarming statistics that you have right in the beginning of your book. And one of them obviously, to me, stands out and is very relevant because it says about what will happen by the year 2050, it says one in three Americans will be diabetic. I often give the year 2050, and that's how I end up closing every podcast, talking more in the context of how we are destroying our environment and our population is growing to 10 billion, but projected to grow to 10 billion by the year 2050. And if we continue eating the way we're eating, which is, as we all know, too well, a diet heavy in meat, dairy and eggs, uh, both in the West and now increasingly in the developing world like China and India, we are, you know, there's no way we're going to be able to feed the world without destroying our rainforests our oceans and just basically destroying humanity for the most part so we need to change we need to do something and it so happens that the foods that are good for us are the foods that are good for the planet as well and you know that's why right at the beginning of the podcast when i introduce it i say the focus of this podcast is about figuring out how to nourish ourselves without starving the planet so to me it's you can't talk about one without talking about the other because, yeah, if there's one food that's great for the planet but it's actually going to kill you and give you heart disease and diabetes, then most likely people should not be eating it Absolutely. or won't be eating it. But obviously what you're talking about, although it's not a revolutionary new product or uh, you know some new food technology that has potential to disrupt our food system, you're on a mission to change the way people eat. I want to know if people pick up this book if more people understand the science that you've very clearly illustrated both in words as well as in in, in drawings and illustrations that are very helpful at least for someone like me who's sure. a very visual person uh if people understand this and follow your solution and your program whether it is just reading the book and trying the recipes or signing up for your coaching program. And this becomes, you know, conventional be- wisdom becomes what you're actually sharing on this podcast. What kind of world do you think we can have in 2050?
2: Man, no, we can have the most amazing, beautiful paradise ever. Imagine those fruits that we were eating. Imagine if that's the stuff that we are putting our, our intelligence towards, towards growing those foods. I, I just, I'm a huge fan of permaculture. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if your audience is into that or not, but it's just this way of of really growing a diverse variety of food in small locations. And we can absolutely do that. Think of the amount of food we can grow inside our cities. I'm a huge fan of what's happening with like, yeah. uh, like urban farming and stuff like that. Um, but what happens is if people adopt this, there's the demand, there's the desire for this. And we're going to make it happen. Like We can live in a world where diabetes, type 2 diabetes, pre-diabetes is gone. It's gone. We can spend the, I mean, billions of dollars are going into new diabetes drugs that address the symptoms, not the cause. What if we start putting that money towards, okay, how do we solve some of the more challenging diseases like type 1 and type 1.5? I think we can solve them if you get the smartest people in the world and the resources Towards that, instead of these unnecessary medications, I, I'm very optimistic about the future.
1: Yeah, and you're making it happen, and I think that's that's really why I talk to folks like you on this podcast. Whether you're building a food company or you are, um, you know, bringing a very new perspective and a much needed perspective on some core uh, health issues and diseases that. You know, there's no point in re-architecting our food system if one in three Americans have diabetes in the year 2050. Right. So we've got to find a middle ground. And again, obviously, if anyone's listening to this podcast, they know I've featured uh, prominent plant-based food companies. Many of their products, and I've said this too on podcasts, are not optimal right. and aren't things that I would want to eat all the time. Sure. Do they play a role? Of course they do. Yes. And we need them so that people start shifting away from... The factory farming system into something yeah. better and if those become the entry points into uh, a better understanding about food and the environment and their own health it'll lead them down the pathway at least if not you know you know i'm a big proponent of eating at least 80 percent whole food plant-based yes. yes um if you could get people to that point you know we can be healthy we can still enjoy our burgers once in a while especially if we are we don't have diabetes sure um and hopefully we'll never get sick and we'll be thriving and a healthy population living on the planet in 2050. I couldn't agree more. Let's make it happen. Thank you, Robbie. This has been a very um, eye-opening, educational, inspiring um, I think what you're doing is supremely important, if I haven't already said that, and I think this book is supremely important, and I encourage everyone to read it, even if they don't have diabetes or somehow think that they will never get it. Uh, And of course, if you do have it, you have to read this book, and if you know someone who has diabetes, buy it for them. Um, so I'm a big proponent of this. I'm going to buy a few copies myself. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I'd ha- love to get you back on at some point to, to see, to see how this grows and evolves, because I have a feeling, uh, you're going to make a lot of change out there.
2: Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on here. And it's honestly, it's honestly an honor to talk to you. I mean, you're kind of like a legend in oh, this on. whole space <laughs> and, um, to get to meet you. And, uh, it's, it's really exciting. And, and your, your belief in us, uh, means a lot. And, and It's going to make us work harder to live up to it and and help as many people as we can i'm just here for the fruit (laughs) (laughs) i got plenty for you (laughs) thank you
1: you've been listening to eat for the planet with nil zacharias if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support please subscribe to the show and leave a review on apple podcasts To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit eftp.co. That's eftp.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening.
0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions eighteen plus.